Produced in association with KPMG Australia, this is What Happens Next with Bernard Salt. Hello, I'm Bernard Salt. On this edition of the program, we look at the flexible approach to working from home businesses and organisations are taking in response to the coronavirus. It's really helped to bust some myths around working from home. Trust has increased. I think we're seeing a clear intent to find the silver lining in the COVID cloud. And we also discuss the importance of societal connection and the role it plays in maintaining mental well-being in the unpredictable environment of COVID-19. We've seen a sense of social solidarity and community cohesion that we haven't seen in this country, a sense of pulling together for the common good. And I think there's a sense of understanding that for our communities to flourish, we really need to look after everyone, uh, particularly the most vulnerable. That's all coming up on the program when we discover what happens next. Prior to the outbreak of COVID-19, the concept of agile working or working from home was a bit of an oddity. It wasn't really part of our everyday norm. It was one of those things that people engaged in occasionally, but it tended to be viewed with scepticism and the concept of the office reigned supreme. Flash forward and as they say, necessity is the mother of invention and never was it more necessary than at the height of the pandemic for business to adapt quickly to remote working in order to keep the wheels turning. Now that we're seeing the pandemic subside somewhat, it appears remote working is more popular than ever and that it's here to stay. To look at this in more detail, I spoke to Deb Yates, National Managing Partner, People, Performance and Culture for KPMG Australia, and Dr Jane Gunn, Partner in Charge of KPMG Australia's People and Change Practice. Deb, I'll start with you. The work-from-home idea, or the notion of being agile when it comes to work, has been around for a number of years. But how has the pandemic shifted the thinking around this for organisations? Well, the almost overnight shift of 100% of our people working from home has really exposed how limited our thinking was of agile. Really, when we'd thought about agile, it was more around how you worked when you're in the office. And they're really important things. How do we best enable teamwork, collaboration, speed of decision-making? And working from home was just something that you did every now and then. Um, With the shift that was necessary with the pandemic, it's really helped to bust some myths around working from home, like it can be just as efficient, sometimes more efficient to work from home thinking about output versus presenteeism, and also really interesting connection. Some of our people have told us they've never felt more connected to their leader working from home. And actually what we've also seen is that trust between our leaders and our people has increased over this time. And so it's really led us to challenge our thinking around agile working And actually, now we're thinking around a hybrid model where we have three hubs of where you work. The office as a hub, the home as a hub, and the client as a hub. Do you think that in the future, we will see people working at 
either of those or will people mix and match a little bit at home, a little bit at the office? I actually think the magic is in the hybrid. I think at extremes will make it difficult to always be efficient. Coming together as a team, collaborating physically will sometimes still be really important. And so I actually think what we'll find is the magic will be in working from where it's most efficient for you and your team and your client. Jane, on this shift, in your view, what are you seeing businesses focus on? Has this approach changed? I think for those businesses who are really fortunate enough to be able to make these choices, I think we're seeing a really genuine focus on taking the learnings from the COVID-19 period and really embedding new and different ways of working. I'm sort of seeing it almost as a, a clear intent to find the silver lining in the COVID cloud. There seem to be four kind of key areas that um, that clients are focusing on as they look to really embed a new way of working. Perhaps the most common, um, in my experience at least, is that employers are looking at the opportunities that COVID brings around really changing their employee value proposition. Um, many, I'd say most of the people, in fact, that I speak with have recognised, similar to what Deb has just talked about, that remote and flexible working works and that people, most people, want to keep at least some elements of what they've experienced. We're seeing employers working through how they do this. Um, many of them are seeking input from their staff, which is, which is encouraging. And also there's a pretty strong recognition that to really embed these new ways of working will require a cultural change uh, to make it work. We're tribal creatures, though. Do you think that at the end of the day, no matter what model we evolve, we will still want that opportunity for human interaction? Do you think that is still going to be central to the way people operate in their workplace? I think the reality is that we've defaulted to being in the office when, in fact, there are only some aspects of what we do that actually require us being in the office. I think we, I think you're right. I think we absolutely uh, do crave human contact. I think we've done a really good job in many cases of establishing the human connection and the human contact using the collaboration tools that we have. Um, I think certainly there are some things we will want to be in the office for Information security is critical. We would, would expect we'd move back to the office. I think anything to do with onboarding, um, bringing people into the organisation, we certainly see that that works better when people have the human contact. Um, the other area, and I'm sure Deb will, will have a comment here, is learning. Yeah, I think that um, learning in a group really does rely on building new relationships quickly. And I think that we've seen uh, through testing, doing learning virtually and um, physically together, that there are some things that really do work better when you're physically together. But I'd also just like to comment, if I could, just on that tribal sort of humanness thing. One thing that has really surprised me actually over the last few months is the feedback from our people in just how they see their leaders as humans first. And that's come about from seeing more of their lives in the background. Seeing the bookcase. Yeah, seeing their dogs, seeing their kids, seeing them in clothes that are more casual, seeing them being more like them. Mm. Um, and so it's been quite fascinating, just the humanness that's been created. It's redefined for me around what um, connection is and, and what a one-on-one -on -one meeting is. 
It's been a very swift and sudden change to the remote working model. What have been the opportunities that you're seeing emerge out of this for businesses and for employees? Jane? I think the biggest opportunity that certainly our clients are commenting on is the opportunity to reset, to step back and to think about you know, the way they deliver services, um, the way they lead and manage staff, to Deb's points, uh, and the culture that they have within their own organisation. I think all three of those are really an opportunity to to stop, to think, did we really need to be doing it that way? Are there better ways to do it? In particular, I think if you look at what it means to have a productive workforce, Deb touched a little bit on this earlier. I think we probably already knew it, but, but COVID has exposed um, this idea that presence is somehow a proxy for productivity. And we know it's not true. Uh, as Deb has said, employers are exploring the ideas that when people are valued and trusted, They do their best work when they have a human connection uh, with their leaders. Aside from the sort of nuts and bolts changes, getting the technology and communications right, remote working has also brought up a number of other challenges, such as multiple members working from home, and then on the other side, the potential for people feeling loneliness and isolation. How are organisations addressing these challenges? Yeah, I think there's a real risk that um, mental health could be the next pandemic that we face coming out of this one, anxiety, isolation. The way that we're responding to that is in, in a number of different ways. Firstly, leadership capability is changing. You know, what's expected of leaders um, was already changing and that's just accelerated with this pandemic. So we're really focused on developing that confidence and capability of our leaders to connect with people at a human level, to feel confident to ask questions and to and to listen and, and know that they're not going to make it worse um, and to ask and to show caring will, um, will help people. But also make sure that we have peer networks and peer support networks that our people can tap into. But finally, this sort of, for me, comes back to this notion of hybrid and, and why it is so important, recognising that extremes of always being at home or always being in the office perhaps um, were never the best thing. And so finding a way, a model where we can um, dependent upon what we're working on but also how we're feeling can connect and and, um, and really focus on our mental, physical well-being and community connection I think will be the real key coming out of this. Deb Yates and Jane Gunn, thanks for helping us discover what happens next. COVID-19 has not only brought into sharp focus people's physical health, but the pressures brought on by the pandemic have also sparked concerns about a person's ability to maintain their mental well-being. Everyone here will have seen or felt in amongst their own families or friends or circles the pressures that are in place right across Australia. So one of the most important things we can do is to provide mental health support. Working in tandem with the Federal Government's Mental Health Response Plan are support organisations such as Beyond Blue. I caught up recently with Georgie Harmon. I'm the CEO of Beyond Blue. Beyond Blue is an organisation that works to improve mental health. 
I started by asking her what have been the unexpected positives in the wake of the pandemic. Look, I think this collective slowing down, which has been forced upon us, has also forced many of us to reevaluate the way we work, the way we live, and the way we're connecting with others. Um, And it's really brought into sharp focus what really matters most to us and what we should prioritise in our lives, what we value the most. And I think the, the, the corollary of that is we've seen a sense of social solidarity and community cohesion that we haven't seen in this country, a sense of pulling together for the common good. Um, People are looking out for their neighbours, sometimes meeting their neighbours for the first time. They're practising random acts of kindness. Um, And I think there's a sense of understanding that for our communities to flourish, we really need to look after everyone, uh, particularly the most vulnerable. I think it's also given us a really unique opportunity to reimagine our workplaces and how we work. Um, Many, many businesses now moving to complete remote working arrangements. Uh, We've seen we're a nation with an enormous capacity to accommodate change, uh, to be flexible, adaptable and uh, to be resilient as well. And these are really key building blocks for, for mentally healthy workplaces. Uh, And then the last thing is the fact that we're having a conversation about mental health at a population level that we haven't seen before. Nobody has been left untouched by the pandemic. Has the sentiment around reliance upon technology shifted, such as concerns about fear of missing out and loneliness, the kind of things that social media can create, to a kind of appreciation that comes with using technology as a method of connecting through virtual meetings and catch-ups, for example? Look, technology, I think, has really saved, you know, a lot of people from, you know, even more distress. Um, Technology has been the way in which we have maintained those sense of social connections, community connections, connections with family, connections with work and our colleagues. We're also seeing apartment blocks set up WhatsApp groups so that, you know, people can, you know, if they're running to the supermarket, does anybody need anything? We also need to be very conscious, though, that that too much technology can be exhausting. Endless Zoom meetings can really sap our energy and and create a sense of, of cognitive dissonance where our minds are tricked into the idea that we're together when our body feels that we're not. So, you know, I think what we're seeing through all of our channels is... Um, an increasing sense of exhaustion um, as people are, you know, living their lives online, um, looking at screens a lot more than they used to. So we need to be very mindful of that. But I think technology has definitely been a game changer when it comes to the delivery of mental health services. Um, That has been, for a number of weeks, the only way that people have been able to connect with their GP or psychologist. Do you think that the pandemic has actually made us more resilient as a society so that ultimately we're in a better position to cope with life's challenges post-COVID-19? That is a really big question. I think the answer is yes and no. Um, We know that some people will experience post-traumatic growth. We see that phenomenon happen after, you know, major national disasters. And that's a phenomenon where people feel a renewed sense of purpose and gratitude after periods of adversity. Um, But for others, particularly those with pre-existing mental health conditions, there is, you know, a long road to recovery ahead. Um, And I think it also has made me think about the notion of individual resiliency. That is a bit of a furphy. Um, We need to be really focused on community resiliency. 
Um, if we don't have a job or a safe place to call home, it doesn't matter how much resilience you've built up, life is still going to be challenging. So if we take the onus off the individual to, to pull themselves together and instead invest in creating the social and economic conditions that create collective strengths, I think we're going to be in a much better position. Georgie, what are the things that we've learned from the pandemic that you think we should hold on to? And what, in your view, are the things that we've realised that we can actually let go? So for many of us, uh, working from home has been absolutely transformative, um, both at an individual level, but also from an organisational level. It's proven we can be agile, flexible and productive outside of a traditional workplace. And I think we really need to hold on to that flexibility. Um, And we can probably also let go of or challenge the traditional notion of work-life balance. That is a notion that basically sets up two domains of our lives in conflict with each other. Um, And and that sort of binary polarised view um, has been really, you know, blown apart. Um, It's also shown us that work is incredibly important to our sense of identity and purpose and that those two domains don't actually need to be in conflict. Um, As I said, productivity does not have to suffer when we work from home. In many cases, it's actually improved. Um, Telehealth has been a game changer when it comes to the delivery of mental health care and we should not snap back to the old traditional ways of provider-led care. Um, And I think uh, we can also let go of the notion that telehealth is somehow a lesser quality of treatment um, or that we don't have the capabilities or or willingness to deliver care in a digital setting. And I think the last thing is, you know, we've seen an incredible bipartisan political approach to national reform when it comes to mental health. Um, And that spirit of cooperation and collaboration needs to stay. Georgie, what would be your top three tips for mental wellness in challenging times? The first is the magic ingredients of good mental health and well-being, and that is connection, sleep, diet, exercise, and setting a routine. The second is to really reset your expectations. You don't have to emerge from the pandemic with a six-pack and having learnt 13 languages. The third one being self-care. Self-care is not a slogan. It's actually an act of self-replenishment. You cannot pour from an empty cup. And, you know, looking after yourself is vital if you want to be there for others. Georgie, if this discussion has raised any concerns in anyone's mind, how would they go about accessing the resources of Beyond Blue? Look, the easiest place to start is to jump onto our website and we've got a dedicated microsite at the moment, coronavirus.beyondblue.org.au or alternatively pick up the phone, 1-800-512-348. Georgie Harmon, thanks for helping us discover what happens next. I'm Whitney Fitzsimmons, the executive producer of What Happens Next. And now it's time for something a little different, the part where I get to interview our host and resident demographer, Bernard Salt. 
So, Bernard, the work from home concept has been around for a while, but COVID-19 really highlighted the benefits of it. What are you hearing and seeing on this? Well, there's no doubt that work from home has been given a major shot in the arm by the coronavirus, having so many people work from home. At the last census, barely 5% of the Australian workforce worked from home, whereas I think that at the height of the lockdown, that was probably 40% or even 50% uh, of uh, of the workforce. So really the whole idea is getting a really good run. And while there have been technical issues adjusting to this early on, I think that the workforce has actually leaned into it and has embraced the whole concept of work from home. Who knew how to do a Zoom meeting five months ago or four months ago? We've learned the technology, we've leaned into it, we've realised that we've been spending our lives commuting and that we can be just as productive and many people say even more productive by working from home. So I see this as a a tremendous social experiment that will, in fact, change the way Australians and others, no doubt, work. As a demographer, do you see that the concept of work is changing and that work-life balance doesn't really exist anymore and it's that now we're seeing a, a true integration of work and lifestyle? I most certainly do think that that is precisely what is happening. The whole idea of work-life balance became very fashionable in the 1990s, but I don't think we ever really embraced it. What is now happening is that work is being organised around people's lives rather than people's lives being organised around their work. And that's the flip that has taken effect with this with this pandemic, with this mass movement of working from home. Georgie mentioned one of the benefits of the pandemic has been greater social connectivity. But I wonder if the move from the me to the we perspective will really truly shift. I think that this is one of the most interesting societal transitions that has taken place during the lockdown. I do in fact think there has been a shift from me to we. If you look at the micro environment within which people are operating at home, they have all of a sudden become Uh, known to their neighbours, for example, people watching out for elderly people in the street, people connecting with others in parklands, people exercising more regularly, people getting to know their shopkeepers and trying to support local shops, people chatting with, getting to know their checkout operator at the local supermarket. I think the pandemic has actually heightened our sense of tribe, our sense of community, our sense of family, our sense of the neighbourhood, which is so important to humanity. We lost all that in this mindless commuting that uh, that previous generations were engaged with. I very much think that there is a terrific opportunity now to build more around the we than about me. All right, well, that's all for the program. But before we go, if this episode has raised any issues or concerns for you, please feel free to contact Beyond Blue either online at coronavirus.beyondblue.org.au or you can call 1-800-512-348. Thank you, Bernard. Thank you, Whitney. And thank you for listening to What Happens Next. been listening to What Happens Next with Bernard Salt. Produced in association with KPMG Australia, 
If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts.